Good morning. Uh, you know, once we got past July, I never expected that I would be back here in this way again. Um, I am not good at preaching to an empty sanctuary. I'm just not. Um, it is hard to do. It's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to grasp. Um, I don't even pre-preach my sermon. I know a lot of my friends pre-preach their sermons also anymore. I don't do that, but this is two weeks, and we will back, be back together. We are setting policies in place. We are getting things done. Bear with us. I promise the week after Thanksgiving, we will be back uh, in worship together. So uh, just bear with us at that. You know, last week, we began our series, Thankful, the Essentials a Believer Should Be Thankful For. Last week we discussed that idea of being thankful for sacrifice and, and why we should be thankful for it. We looked at the deeper meaning of sacrifice in the life of Jesus. We looked at all of the things that had gone on in his life that we don't think about. We examined how it really affected our lives and, and what it was that Jesus really sacrificed for us. And in starting our series, if you remember, our series is rooted in a verse there in 2 Corinthians 9.15. And by the end of this series, I hope we have this verse memorized. What is it again? It is, thank be to God for his indescribable gift. In essence, this series is a description in detail of the indescribable gift of God in Jesus on the cross. Now, we sometimes wrap our minds around it very lightly and we understand um, that it means that Jesus sacrificed and he died but sometimes we're afraid to push because we don't know where we're going to end up. Simply, this gift is indescribable. It's beyond words because of the great expressions of love that God has showered upon us. And these expressions are numerous. They take different forms, like sacrifice. You know, in the 1700s, there was a man by the name of John Newton. He had, loved, he had lived a rough life. His mother died when he was six. At 11, he went to see his father... And when he went, he went to sea with his father, as in the, the ship. Um, and when he, <clears throat> when his dad retired, he went to, to the sea himself and got into trouble. And he found himself in many bad situations. But finally, he became the captain of his own ship, and it was a slave trader. And on the day of May 10th, 1748, a storm threatened to overtake the boat. And he cried out in the words of his mother from so long ago, Lord, have mercy on us. They made it through the storm, and from that moment forward, John marked that day as the date of his conversion. And from that day of his life, he began to change. He quit the slave trade, he got married, and he eventually became a minister. Then, sometime between 1760 and 1770, he penned these words, Amazing grace... How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. When Newton described the grace, he realized something I believe we take too easily for granted. This thing we call grace is nothing more than amazing. It's an outpouring of God's love that we have to be thankful for. Part of what makes God's gift indescribable is the grace He showers upon us in that sacrifice. It's a simple word, 
And it contains so much. And so we think we understand it. We think we know why we should be thankful. But this morning I want us to look at four characteristics of God's grace that should make us thankful. And the first of those is that the grace of Jesus is costless. Now I could have said it's free. But sometimes we mistake free for something else. And so I said it's costless. This first characteristic we're going to examine is one that supports our entire view of salvation. And it's summed up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And there it says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel, and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Did you catch that? Did you catch this characteristic? It is God's gift. Grace is costless. It is gratuitous. It is free. There is nothing we can do or should do to earn God's grace. It's a gift. We've talked about before how this is a hard thing for us sometimes in our society because we think when someone gives something, we owe them something back. When you watch time and time again on TV shows and places like that in movies where you have entire episodes where people are torn over how do I pay them back? How do I get them the same kind of gift? How do I outgive so and so? That's part of the issue. But when we begin to think we have to give something in return for a gift that we give, it's not a gift, it's a barter. A gift is something given with nothing expected in return. Nothing is expected. God's grace is given to us as a gift. It's completely free with no strings attached. Why is this so important? Because even if it wasn't a gift, we couldn't earn it. No matter how hard we try or how hard, what all we did, we could never be worthy of heaven without the free gift of grace. And we should be thankful that it's free or none of us would ever make it. The law was put into place and there's this misunderstanding. <clears throat> Some people say, well, before you had the law, and, and, and so the law is how we were saved. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the law was. The law didn't make anyone holy. Its sole purpose was to show man its sin. Grace is always how people came before God. Law was what people did in reaction to what failing they had. Law said certain things. If you did this sin, this is your sacrifice. If you did this sin, this is what you do. What the law said was, this is the level of sin that you have committed. And this is how you will atone for that sin, because blood must atone for it. But what made the relationship was never the law. What made the relationship was grace. If it wasn't for the free grace from God, nobody would ever have made it. Guess how Abraham made it? By grace. Guess how Moses made it? By grace. Guess how David made it? By grace. They looked forward to the cross. They looked forward to the sacrifice that was to come. It has always been the grace of God. While those in the Old Testament look forward, we look backward. We look at the cross. We can do nothing.
nothing to earn the grace God gives because our best wouldn't even amount to heaven's worst. You know, uh, one of my greatest earthly treasures in this world is my papa's guns. I have two guns that were my papa's that he gave to me or that my mom gave to me. <clears throat> I could have bought any gun in the world. I probably could have bought nicer guns somewhere along the way. I could have bought higher quality guns. I could have bought something else. But the only way I could get those guns is that someone gave them to me. The only way to attain those guns was through a gift. And so it is with grace. Only God's gift can make us holy. So we have to be thankful that grace is costless. Grace is free. Jesus' grace isn't just costless. Jesus' grace is effective. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is discussing the gospel that he preaches. He is discussing what it is that, that, that Jesus did. He is discussing these are the tenets of the gospel. This is what I preach to you. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to Cephas, to the twelve, to over 500 brothers. And then he came at last to me. And I am now an apostle as one abnormally born. I am unworthy to be an apostle, Paul says. But then he gives this big but. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called to an apostle, but... By God's grace, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He was a man who persecuted the church. He denied Jesus for a time. And he was ready to kill those who followed Jesus. But God's grace took this murderer, took this person of judgment, took this person who denied him, took Paul from the man who was ready to destroy this band of believers and turned him into the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. And if God's grace is effective in him, it's effective in us. If God's grace can turn Paul from a murderer to an apostle, from a denier to an evangelist, what can he do in us? What great news! We don't believe and follow in vain. When God begins to work in your life, grace is effective. It cleanses your soul. It restores your soul. It, it cleanses your sin. It gives you a new hope. It gives you a new name. It gives you a new soul. The grace of God is effective in the lives of believers. God doesn't give us grace that does not have an effect. How many of us have ever been in situations where someone says, I forgive you, but yet they didn't really forgive you? Right? You hurt somebody. And you ask for forgiveness. And they say, I forgive you. But every time something happens, they bring that time up. Oh. 
Yeah, but I remember when you... That's not grace. That's not forgiveness. That's not what it means to have grace towards someone. Grace is overflowing. Grace continues on. Grace has an effect on those around you. And God's grace is effective. Jesus' grace is effective. And because Jesus' grace is effective, we have eternal life. We have hope of heaven. We have an effectiveness in our own grace that we give to others. Because the effectiveness of God's grace, even to the chief of sinners, that's what makes this gift indescribable. Grace that's effective, that changes people, that makes a difference, that takes the sinner and makes him a saint, that takes the lost and makes them found, that takes the wretch and brings them into new life. Jesus' grace is effective. Jesus' grace is also sufficient. Now I know we've read this, this passage several times. We've read it time and again together because we have been here in different sermons and different sermon series. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, what is it that Paul says? What is it that he makes? What point does he make there? He says... <coughs> He has been pleading with God three times to take away the thorn in the flesh. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Grace is sufficient because power is perfected in weakness. If I could get there by myself, I wouldn't need grace. If I had the power within myself to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law, I could get there on my own and I wouldn't need grace. Grace is sufficient to take care of the law. Grace is sufficient to move in our lives. Paul is crying out, God, <clears throat> please take this thorn from my flesh. I can't do this anymore. Three times. I want to be strong for you, Jesus. I could do so much more if you would just take this thorn. And Jesus says, no. My grace is sufficient you don't need light shows. You don't need everything that you think you need, Paul, because when you think you'll fall, my grace will step in. When you have no more strength, my power will hold you up. When your world is crumbling and you have fallen one more time, my grace will be your witness. When all hope is lost, my grace is sufficient for your life, your ministry, and whatever comes your way because my power is perfected in your weakness. What you, when you do it on your own, you run the risk of taking credit. But when you fall on your face and it happens anyway, the glory is all mine. My grace is sufficient for you. Think about why we should be thankful for this. It isn't when we do everything right that God's power is shown. It's when we can't do it at all. It isn't when our ideas come together and things are a success that God's power is shown. It's when things fall apart because we did it, but God still blesses us. 
God's power is shown when we learn to recognize that we aren't in control. When we learn that we can't do it. How much easier would your church life be if you let God do what God's going to do when you quit trying to fix everything? God's grace is sufficient. When you goof up, He covers it. When you can't get it done, He steps in. When your dreams and your plans fail, God's plan remains the same. God's grace is sufficient and there is peace and there is hope and contentment in knowing that when I am weak, He is strong. When I'm a failure, He's a success. When I botch it up, He covers my sin. His grace is sufficient to all, through all, and in all. And that makes this gift indescribable. Jesus' grace is costless. Jesus' grace is effective. Jesus' grace is sufficient. And Jesus' grace is contagious. <laughs> this is my favorite of all. And I couldn't decide on which descriptor is best. I couldn't decide which which text to go to, but I know where it is summed up best is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount over in Luke chapter 6. Jesus is talking about a lot of things here, but there is one passage in Luke chapter 6 verse 27 through 36. That's one of my top reasons to be thankful for grace. And it says, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from the one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. God's grace is contagious. Or should I say it's shareable. God's grace shouldn't stop at us. Read what the text says. He doesn't say love your family and hold them close. He doesn't even say protect your family and hold them close. He says love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. God's grace should continue on in every aspect of our lives. Not just our church or home life, but that person who just always sits on the wrong side. You know, you know who it is. That one person who's always on the wrong side. If God on the cross can look down and know He is dying for me, even though I'm going to continually fail Him, what's the difference for us? 
When Jesus died on the cross, He knew that I was going to fail. And I was going to fail again. And I was going to fail again. And I was going to fail again. And I was going to have to keep getting up. And I was going to have to keep saying, Lord, forgive me. And I was going to have to keep saying, Lord, lead me. And I was going to over and over and over again fail Him. And He still on the cross said, Father, forgive them. He still on the cross made that sacrifice. So why would I think that in my life, when I have been filled up to overflowing with that grace, why would I think that my enemies should be treated any differently? Why do we act as if people need to earn forgiveness? That's hard. Brother Troy, I, I want to forgive them, but I just know they're going to do it again, so... Jesus talked about 70 times 7 somewhere in there too. Just keep on forgiving. That's hard. Brother Troy, I really, <clears throat> I really do. I want to forgive. I want to forgive and I want to move on. But, but they never have asked. So Jesus didn't say love your enemies when they ask you to forgive them. Bless those who curse you when they quit cursing you. These are active things when they are being the people that they have always been. You just move into this and you do these things. If you treat nice people nice and family nice, what good is it, he says? Even the pagans do that. Even those who don't know Jesus treat their family nice. They treat nice people nice. Look closely at verse 35. But love your enemies. Do what is good. And lend expecting nothing in return. It's a compound statement. It all works together. This is the way the Greek works in this text. Love expecting nothing. Do good expecting nothing. Lend expecting nothing. Expecting nothing is for all of those things. It's a compound statement. If you expect nothing, what does that make it? A gift. And what was our first characteristic? The gift of God. God's grace given by Him or by us never has to be earned. If you're making someone earn it, it ain't grace. If you're making someone do something for it, it ain't grace. Grace is free. Nothing has to be done. It is given. You just accept it. That's it. And sometimes they don't accept it. Here's something else about a gift. Here's something else that happens. If I give someone a gift, if I wrapped up a gift and I gave it to Carrie and I put it on the dresser in the bedroom and it had her name on it, and it's hers. If she never opens it, it's still her gift that I gave to her. That's just the way it works. It's still her gift. That's the key. Sometimes people are given the grace of God. They're given the grace of God by Jesus and by others. And what happens? They don't open it. They don't accept it. So why do we have to be thankful? Why should we be thankful for the grace of God? Well, for one, we don't have to be sour-faced lemon suckers. We know those people who walk around all the time and they look like they've been sucking on a lemon. Because they're grumpy and they're upset and they're mad and every little thing in the world gets under their skin. We don't have to be those people because God has given us grace. If we give 
God's grace as freely as He does, we have to be happy. You know why? Because we're not holding on to this. And we're not holding on to that. And we're not making somebody pay for this. And we're not making somebody pay for that. If we're giving away God's grace like God gives away His grace, we're happy people. We've got nothing to worry about. You know, I struggle with those terms. God's grace should be contagious. It should be that where when you're around someone who's given away God's grace, you can't help but do it too. It's definitely shareable, but it should be contagious. Sharing grace with those around us should change our lives. We cannot help but be thankful for God's grace. And it's an all-encompassing expression of love. Freely given, effective for salvation and change, sufficient in our weakness, and shareable with those around us. That little amazing grace is what makes this gift so indescribable. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with grace. Maybe this morning you have found yourself thinking, wow, you know, I, I cannot hold that against them, but but, but I can't give them more. That, that's the definition between grace and mercy, right? Mercy is that somebody doesn't get what they deserve, but grace is getting a blessing on top of not getting what they deserve. And God wants us to be those who are graceful. When, when Jesus was talking to, to people on Sermon on the Mount, He said, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. When He said those things, He knew full well what His followers were going to go through. He knew what they were going through then. He knew what they were going to go through after he died. He knew what was coming. But he didn't say, love the church. He said, love everybody. Love your enemies. Maybe this morning you've struggled with that. Maybe you have no problem giving mercy. But there's no way you think you can give grace. There's no way that, that you can give them more but just because you don't give them what they deserve. Maybe that's where you're at today. Well, now's the time to give your life over and say, God, I want to be in your grace. Maybe today you've been struggling with something else. Maybe the devil's working on you. Maybe because we're not meeting, you are down. Don't let the devil get you down. I mean, we're not the first church in history to not be together. When we read this scripture, Paul writes these letters that he writes. He's not sitting there with them. He's not preaching them a sermon right there. He sends them a sermon by letter. We have video. We're not the first. We have a connection here with the first church in the first century. Don't let Satan get you down. Don't let Satan get into your mind. Say, get behind me, Satan. This is two weeks. This is two weeks for the safety of my church. And I'm going to stand back up in two weeks. And we are going to raise our hands. And we are going to praise God together. Don't let Satan get in your mind. Maybe today you just need to pray. Pray. Call me on the phone. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. You can join today. Call me. Want my number? House phone rings better. 254-646-2485. Call me. Tell me you want to join. I'll write your name down. We'll go from there. But this morning, if you have a need, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never known this amazing grace, 
If you're still back where John Newton was and you were a wretch who did things that you shouldn't do and you've never known the grace of Jesus and you've never been set free, now's a great day to do it. Don't waste any more time. You don't even have to walk an aisle. You can just call me on the phone. And you and I will pray over it together. But wherever you're at, whatever you need today, give it to Him. Would you pray for me? Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessing.